Well, good evening to all members and friends of Calvary Church, Brighton. I also welcome any visitors listening into this broadcast and hope that this evening's address would bless you as we sing, pray, and open up God's word together. My name is Mark Rayfield. For those who do not know me, I'm a member of this church. It has been an unusual time for Calvary Church, Brighton, as we are still unable to meet together physically. Added to this, we have lost two elders in two weeks through different means. So tonight you might be feeling rather shell-socked, aggrieved, in grief, indifferent, or something else. Perhaps wondering where God is. We are allowed to feel like this and cry to the Lord. David did this in the Psalms. And uh, let's read Psalm 22. He says in verse 1, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me, so far from the words of my groaning? Oh my God, I cry out by day, but you do not answer. By night, and I am silent. Yet you are enthroned as the Holy One. You are the praise of Israel. In you our fathers put their trust. They trusted and you delivered them. Verse 6. I am a worm and not a man, scorned by men and despised by the people. All who see me mock me. They hurl insults, shaking their heads. He trusts in the Lord. Let the Lord rescue him. Let him deliver him, since he delights in him. Verse 12. Many bulls surround me. Strong bulls of Bashan encircle me. Roaring lions tearing their prey open their mouths wide against me. I am poured out like water, and all my bones are out of joints. My heart has turned to wax. It has melted away within me. Verse 17, I count all my bones. I can count all my bones. People stare and gloat over me. They divide my garments among them and cast lots for my clothing. Well, we don't know exactly what situation David was in. Perhaps it could have been Saul or Absalom hunting him down. But we can clearly see that his life is in danger and he is despairing. Where is God? In verse 20, it says, sorry, not verse 20, 24. It says, for he has not despised or disdained the suffering of the afflicted one. He has not hidden his face from him, but has listened to his cry for help. God listens to our cries, brothers and sisters, and hears us. This psalm is ultimately Christological, fulfilled in Christ. Christ went through these emotions, as we will see tonight. And he shouted out in verse 1, Why have you forsaken me? So be encouraged that the Lord does listen to our cries, And he does comfort us in our time of need.
Our first song is By Faith, based on Hebrews 11, The Heroes of the Faith. I was thinking of our dear friend Chris Fry, who finished the race well last week. His work is done. He walked by faith and not by sight. The song says, we will stand as children of the promise. We will fix our eyes on him, our soul's reward. Till the race is finished and the work is done, we'll walk by faith and not by sight. This 
this mountain shall be moved And the power of the gospel shall prevail For we know in Christ all things are possible For all who call upon His name Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are a promise-keeping God. You kept your promises to Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Joshua. You brought the people of Israel into the promised land. You gave them their inheritance. We thank you that your promises are yes and amen in Christ Jesus. We thank you that you never let us down. You're always there. Lord, we come to you tonight, um, perhaps deflated, perhaps sad, aggrieved, shell-shocked. Whatever state we come to you, we know that you keep your promises and that you will never leave or forsake us. We thank you there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. We thank you that you have come to give life and life in abundance through your son. We thank you that in Exodus, the law says, I will fight for you. You need only be still. Heavenly Father, we thank you that we're coming to such a God tonight that we can give our lives over to you. And we confess, Lord, that we are sinners before you that by ourselves we have no merit to be here tonight, but it's only by your precious blood which we'll be thinking about tonight. We thank you for the cross. We thank you for all that you've done through us, through dying and saving us from our sins. So we confess those things we have thought, said and done, Lord, and we pray for a, a fresh forgiveness. And Lord, we come in thanksgiving for all the good things you have given to us. We especially thank you for the gift of Chris Fry to us, how he has been such a a great blessing to many and helped us on our journey. 
And uh, we look to you now in another phase of our church's life. We thank you for the opportunities that we have in this strange season, Lord. And we pray that we would use them to your glory. We do lift up those who are heavy burdened tonight, Lord. May you bless them. We pray for the elderly. Lord, please be with them. We pray for families. We pray for children, Lord, that you would help the parents of those looking after children. We particularly pray for those who are perhaps uh, finding life difficult at this time. May they cry to you. Oh, Lord, there is so much we can ask for, Lord. Uh, Thank you that you listen to our cries and you will answer us appropriately. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, our second song is Will Your Anchor Hold? The author of this hymn is Priscilla Owens. She was born in Baltimore in the USA in 1829 of Scottish and Welsh blood. For over 50 years, Priscilla was actively involved in work for children youth, and most of her songs were therefore composed for children. It says, We have an anchor that keeps the soul steadfast and sure while the billows roll. Billows are huge waves. Fastened to the rock which cannot move, grounded firm and deep in the Saviour's love. Let's sing together.
Let's read our passage tonight. So if you have a Bible, whether that is physically or whether you have a a tablet, please open it up to Matthew 27. In the evenings, we've been going through Matthew and we're now in the latter stages of this book. Matthew 27, verse 45 to 56. Matthew 27, verse 45 to 56. Let's read the word of God. From the sixth hour until the ninth hour, darkness came over all the land. About the ninth hour, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lama, sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? When some of those standing there heard this, they said, He is calling Elijah. Immediately, one of them ran and got a sponge. He filled it with wine vinegar, put it on a stick, and offered it to Jesus to drink. The rest said, now leave him alone. Let's see if Elijah comes to save him. And when Jesus had cried out again in a loud voice, he gave up his spirit. At that moment, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. The earth shook and the rocks split. The tombs broke open and the bodies of many holy people who had died were raised to life. They came out of the tombs and after Jesus' resurrection, they went into the holy city and appeared to many people. When the centurion and those with him who were guarding Jesus saw the earthquake and all that had happened, they were terrified and exclaimed, surely he was the son of God. Many women were there watching from a distance. They had followed Jesus from Galilee to care for his needs. Among them were Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James and Joseph, and the mother of of Zebedee's sons. This is the word of the Lord. May he bless us tonight. Let's pray before I speak. Heavenly Father, we come to your words. Um, thank you that you speak to us through your word, Lord. Um, please help us not to be distracted, but to hear your voice clearly for me speaking and for all those that are listening. Thank you that your word gives us life it encourages us it rebukes us it trains us so that we might be fully equipped for our christian lives so lord by your spirit please speak to our hearts and minds and change us by your holy words in jesus name amen so whose death has been the most notable in history in my generation Maybe Lady Diana in the 1990s. Perhaps you remember that. I remember my mother was in tears when she saw the funeral, uh, the coffin, going through the streets of London. It was a very emotional day for many of us. Perhaps it's Nelson Mandela or Margaret Thatcher, Billy Graham. Normally we think 
of these famous and notable people that have had a profound effect on our society. There is national or international mourning and a reflection on that person's life. The number of deaths registered in England and Wales in the week ending the 2nd of October 2020 was 9,945. COVID-19 is on the rise again and there is more death. Death can be ugly. It's a sad thing. Some people call it a monster. It's an unnatural feeling of sudden loss. Last week was a bittersweet one for us as a church. We learnt of the death of our dear friend, Chris Fry, who was a model Christian. He fought the fight. He ran the race. He didn't give up. He passed through the valley of the shadow of death and reached home. We thank the Lord for him. He was such a blessing to so many. In our culture, death is rather hidden. It's a bit of a taboo, an elephant in the room. We don't like talking about it. Personally, I have never seen a dead body with the naked eye, and I'm 41 years old. In Victorian times, death was a daily, weekly, monthly event. You would see it starkly. It's a reality that we all have to face, death. Well, tonight we read about the greatest death of all time. None parallels it in human history. It's the most ugliest scene you have ever imagined, and yet it is the most beautiful. In the past few weeks, we have been studying the accounts of Christ's crucifixion, the events leading up to that particularly the mockery that Christ faced and the huge irony of the fact that it really was the king of the Jews who the Romans and the Jews were ridiculing, although they didn't realise it. Last week, we saw the camera lens panning on all the bystanders, those that were around the cross and their reactions to the event. And in this passage tonight we are looking at Christ's last hours before his death. So my first point is abandoned for me. Abandoned for me, verse 45 to 50. I'd like you to imagine the scene as if you were there all those years ago at Calvary. In verse 45... You see that at noon, 12 o'clock, a seemingly supernatural darkness covers the land. Jesus is hanging there on the cross, having been beaten, flogged, his back probably lacerated, torn and scarred. Blood flows down. A cruel crown of thorns piercing his head having been spat at and ridiculed intensely treated subhumanly like an animal 
you look at that crimson body on the cross and you remember the prophecy of Isaiah 52 saying his appearance was so disfigured beyond that of any man and his form marred beyond human likeness. You cannot recognize him. And when the sun should be in full strength, there is utter blackness instead. It stops shining. You feel the heavy gloom. This is no ordinary day. Something deep, mysterious is happening. This isn't an eclipse because there is no full moon at Passover. You stare into the heavy, dark sky and remember Amos 8, verse 9. In that day, declares the Lord, I will make the sun go down at noon and darken the earth in broad daylight. A shudder goes through your body. This is what was prophesied. You recall the Torah. Darkness was one of the plagues sent by God against the Egyptians in Exodus 10. Then the Lord said to Moses, stretch out your hand toward the sky so that darkness spreads over Egypt. Darkness that can be felt. So Moses stretched out his hand toward the sky and total darkness covered Egypt for three days. No one could see anyone else or move about for three days. Yet all the Israelites had light in the places where they lived. Here in Jerusalem, it's three hours of darkness. The ridiculing stops and there is an eerie silence. You gaze up to the cross. Jesus is suffering alone, totally abandoned by everyone, even his close followers. You are thinking this must be a sign of judgment, God's righteous judgment. This is punishment for something. Then at around three o'clock, Christ cries out in a loud voice. Verse 46. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? You realize he's quoting Psalm 22 verse 1. David's cry for help. What is happening here? Why does he feel abandoned? He is bearing the sin of the world upon his shoulders. He is feeling the full anger of God's wrath upon him for sin. It seems God the Father has withdrawn his comfortable presence for a time. Is Satan tormenting him? 
fulfilling Genesis 3, 16, 15. He will crush your head and you, Satan, will strike his heel. Another part of Isaiah comes to mind. Isaiah 53, 4-5. He bore our griefs and carried our sorrows. That he was wounded for our transgressions and bruised for our iniquities. That the chastisement of our peace was laid upon him. By his stripes we are healed. Christ is atoning for sin. He's paying the price, redeeming humanity. Propitiation for iniquity. God is now no longer angry with me. God is appeased because what of Christ, what Christ has done, he's taken that wrath for me. Wow! What mercy! What love for me! And in verse 50, Jesus cries out again. Probably, John 19, verse 30. It is finished! Finally, sin has been dealt with. We are free. The mission of Christ has been completed. Matthew 1, 21. You are to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from his sins. Finally, he gives up his spirit voluntarily. Different from any man's death. We cannot do this. We die involuntarily. We cannot determine when we go. However, Christ gives up his life for mankind. A huge victory over Satan is accomplished. Never has there been such a last breath than there was Christ's. To the majority of the onlookers there, it means nothing but a usually cruel Roman death. But as someone later states, that death discharged the full debt, the mighty debt, which sinners owe to God and threw open the door of life to every believer. Christ redeems us from the curse of the law by becoming the curse for us. For it is written, cursed is anyone who is hung on a pole. Brothers and sisters, let's come back to 2020. Jesus Christ did that for you and for me. He was a substitute for you. You and I should have been there on the cross as people who have rejected God and rightly deserve to face his full wrath. What is even more remarkable about this is that Christ was sinless. He had never wronged anyone. Spotless, yet made a vile sinner because of our wrongdoing. 
What love. Picture that famous scene as the Titanic, the ship that sailed from Southampton, is sinking. All those people aboard. And some altruistic person gives you their place in the lifeboat. Or you're handed that life jacket. Here, you can live. I'll die. What love. Christ knows the feeling of abandonment. You can cry to God for help. Perhaps tonight you're feeling that way. Perhaps you feel there is no God. But there is. He's there for you with outstretched arms. He loves you. How do you feel about this scene when you look up to the cross? Does it make you thank God for what he has done for you? You put in there. Does it make you not want to sin? How often this week, this last week, have you thanked God for the cross? This week, thank God for the cross. We should never forget this, brothers and sisters. This should be a daily remembrance. My second point is access for me. What does Christ's death do for me? Incredibly, as well as deleting sin, it gives us access to the Holy of Holies, the presence of God. Look at the consequence of Christ's death in verse 51. At that moment, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. The earth shook and the rock split. Visualize this moment. It's 3 p.m. and you are a priest in the temple in Jerusalem, just about to make the evening sacrifice, as you normally do. Then all of a sudden... The super thick, enormous curtain that separates you from the presence of God rips from top to bottom. What on earth is happening? You almost faint. Now, there is access to God. The old covenant is over, the new has come. No longer are we separated from God. We can now approach him with confidence because of his blood. Access for me. This divide between Jew and Gentile has been broken. The new covenant in Jesus' blood has come to pass. 
We now do not need any intermediaries to access God. Christ is our high priest. He is also the sacrifice. Behold the lamb who takes away the sin of the world. Hebrews 6.19 We have this hope as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure. It enters the inner sanctuary behind the curtain. We sang about it. Friends, we have direct access to God because of the cross of Calvary. Hallelujah! It's like you have 24-7 access to the Queen or the President. You don't have to go for any rigmarole, protocols. You know them personally. You have their number. What a privilege, friends. No matter where you are, at any time, we have access to God. And lastly, my third point, new life for me. New life for me. Let's read 51b to verse 54. The earth shook and the rocks split. The tombs broke open and the bodies of many holy people who had died were raised to life. They came out of the tombs and after Jesus' resurrection, they went into the holy city and appeared to many people. When the centurion and those with him who were guarding Jesus saw the earthquake and all that had happened, they were terrified and exclaimed, Surely he was the Son of God. Brothers and sisters, this is a picture of new resurrected life. Whether the tombs did break open and dead people were raised and appeared to many is debated. Matthew could be commenting on the future resurrection when Christ comes back and All those that have died are brought back to life. The new resurrection. Christ has already started this motion and he will finalize it when he comes back. I think both answers are fine either way. Most of the commentators I have read agree with a literal view that this did happen. There is a lovely scene if you take the former view as saints from the Old Testament, perhaps the prophets, or perhaps they were people that had recently died, meet New Testament believers, the old and the new. The text seems to read like this, using the past tense. There was certainly an earthquake in verse 54, we see. The centurion and those with him were terrified. Here we see God's power over creation. It begs the question, though, what happened to these resurrected people after this event? Did they go back to their graves? That would seem strange. Perhaps they didn't have new bodies. Perhaps it was their original one. Why did they appear after Christ's own resurrection? Well, that goes hand in hand with Corinthians 15, 1 Corinthians 15, 
where the Pauline text says the fruits, Christ being the fruits of them that slept, he comes first. There is no other record of this happening in the Gospels. But whatever view you take, what we can see is that Christ's death produces new life. And this isn't just any new life. This is eternal life, resurrected life, new bodies. For we believe that Jesus died and rose again. And so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him. To end, C.S. Lewis, in his book, The Last Battle from the Chronicles of Narnia, puts it like this. When Aslan speaks to the Pevensey children, while they'll never be leaving Narnia. There was a real railway accident, said Aslan softly. Your father and mother and all of you are, as you used to call it, in the Shadowlands, dead. The term is over. The holidays have begun. The dream is ended. This is the morning. And as he spoke... He no longer looked to them like a lion. But the things that began to happen after that were so great and beautiful that I cannot write them. And for us, this is the end of all stories. And we can truly say that they are all lived happily ever after. But for them... It was only the beginning of the real story. All their life in this world and all their adventures in Narnia had only been the cover and the title page. Now at last, they were beginning chapter one of the great story, which no one on earth has read, which goes on forever, in which every chapter is better than the one before. The resurrection life is far better, greater, more glorious than life now. Far from death being the end of our life, it is the gateway to an outstanding new life. A life in which every chapter is better than the one before. Yes, to live is Christ and to die is gain. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for what we've looked at tonight thank you that you 
were abandoned for us, forsaken for us, that you died on the cross so horribly that we can never fathom what you went through. But it was awful. And yet it was so beautiful that you have now given us eternal life. Our sins are forgiven, that we have our consciences cleansed. We can walk with our head high, knowing that we have a great Savior. Thank you, there is now access for me. We can now come into your presence wherever we are because of Christ. The curtain is torn in two. And we thank you for the new life that you give us and the resurrected life that one day we will enjoy. We look forward to that moment when the shadows flee. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's sing our last song together, How Deep the Father's Love for Us. Four, two, six, if you have the hymn book. Behold the man upon a cross, my sins upon his shoulders. Ashamed, I hear my mocking voice call out among the scoffers. It was my sin that held him there until it was accomplished. His dying breath has brought me life. I know that it is finished. Let's sing together. How deep the Father's love for us How vast beyond all measure That He should give His only Son his treasure how great the pain of searing loss the father turns his face away as wounds which mar the chosen one bring many sons to glory behold the man upon the cross my sin Upon his shoulders Ashamed I hear my mocking voice Call out among the scoffers It was my sin that held him there Until it was accomplished His dying breath has brought me life I know that it is finished I will not boast in anything No gifts, no power, no wisdom But I will boast in Jesus Christ His death and resurrection Why should I gain from His reward? I cannot give an answer, but this I know with all my heart, his wounds have paid my rent.